So did a little research this week, and uh, the average person uses, check this out, 11 million words a year. Can you imagine that? 11 million words a year. Some of you are like, I'm married to someone who's got that in spades, right? Some of you are like, you might barely get there. But here's the math, okay? The average person, like if you live to be 65 years old, guess what? That's 715 million words. 715 million. You would think with that many millions of words, we would be like really doing great relationally as a culture, wouldn't you? So we're not. So our hypothesis for this series is this, that the issue isn't about the quantity of our words, but it's probably something to do about the quality. The quality of our conversations that we're having together. And I don't know about you, but, but for me, I got the opportunity to kick this sermon series off because Josh was like, Darren, you're, you do good with like the you know, big picture ideas and helping everybody understand the concept. And I was like, sweet, no problem. I'll kick the series off. Then I start working through it and I realize it's another, another sermon that I hate to prepare because I'm no good at what I'm about to talk to you about today, Okay. Some of us love awkward conversations and you courageously move and to talk about awkward things and you enjoy emotions in general and even negative ones, okay? Then there's the people like me, okay? I'm an Enneagram 7, an ENFP. Like, I don't like awkward. I don't like painful. I don't like to talk about tough stuff, right? If there's a conflict, it's like, it's cool. Let's just not talk about it. I hope I don't see you ever again or something, Okay? And so when you come to this question, can't we just talk? Too often in my life, the answer is like, we could, but how about we don't? <laughs> but here's the issue. I found this quote this week by Erwin McManus, one of my favorite pastors. He said this, the best evidence of your connection to God is the way you connect with other people. One of the greatest and best evidences of your connection to God is how you connect to other people. And we connect to other people through communication, through talking. And that means the positive and the negative. And here's the deal. I'm interested when I talk to people often and they know I'm a you know, pastor guy or whatever. And they'll come up to say, you know, man, Darren, there's a couple things I can't talk to my kids about. I mean, it's, you know, it's God and, you know, adult stuff. I just realized a lot of kids here, right? you know, adult stuff that you learn about when you're 13. And if you think about like, or probably earlier than 13, but if you think about two things that you probably, it'd probably be really good for you to be able to talk really openly about in your life, that, that if you don't, like misconceptions about these things could derail almost everything, it's God in, in intimate relationship stuff. And if there's a lot of parents out there like, oh, we, I can't talk to my kids about that stuff then who is and who's guiding and directing your family's culture of conversation? And not just those things, but there's a lot of issues, aren't there, in our lives? And if not in ours, maybe like in our parents or grandparents, like, like a lot of times in our family lineage, there's some stuff that we just don't talk about that, right? Because somebody's family is dealing with depression, anxiety, suicide, drug, alcohol abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Like all of the dysfunctions that we see in the world, we're all dealing with them. But the question is, 
can we talk about them? Because here's the hypothesis that we're going to put out for this for this 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 series is this is that issues undiscussed often become highways of dysfunction in our lives. Issues undiscussed and kept in darkness are often highways to dysfunction. However, the positive is true as well. Issues that are discussed and brought out into the light and the love of Jesus are often and almost always highways to healing and wholeness. And if our testimony to the world is that we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, we believe that no one is too far from God to experience life change through him, then what we probably need to take some time as a community is to answer affirmatively the, the questions. Can't we just talk? Yes, we can, because we believe that we can bring the most difficult conversations out into the light and the love of Jesus and allow our lives and our communication and our community to be a highway to wholeness. The word of God says it like this in 1 John chapter 5. This is the message God has given us to pass on to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So if we say we're his friends, we go on living in spiritual darkness and sin, we are lying. But if we're living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ does, then we will have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other. And the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from every sin. Then it goes on and says this. If we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth, right? If, there, if we're saying there's nothing back there in the past that we need to talk about, let's just sweep all that under the rug. We're only fooling ourselves. But listen to this promise here. But if we confess our sins to him... He can be depended on to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. And it's perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. If we confess our sins, if, if we're confessing to God, that's a conversation, isn't it? And it even goes on and it talks about how this works with each other. In James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If we're confessing sins to each other, if we're seeking reconciliation, if we're talking about tough things, the word of God is telling us that we are now on a highway to wholeness and to healing. And that is what we desire as a church, as individuals. I think sometimes we, we, within the church culture, we, we, we're, we're set up to kind of fail at this. Because most often, if you have some dysfunction and stuff going in your life, and you think, you know what? We got to get back in church and get this figured out. The struggle is, oftentimes, the culture of church is left to just be sit and listen. Not talk and discuss, Right? So you can come to church. Let's say you come twice a month. You're like, we're really trying to figure it out. And if you're not in a group, if you don't have a community where you're really talking things out, you come in, you sing, listen to someone sing, and then you sit and listen to stuff that we say, and you want that to, like, fix your life. Here's the tough thing. Think about if we, if we say we want to be a hospital for sinners. Let's say we did that in the real hospital. Like, let's say you had some real medical things happening wrong, and you were like, I've got some symptoms. Things are not working in my life. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to the hospital twice a month and sit there and listen to a doctor talk about various diseases and problems and possible cures. And then I'll go home 
and not talk to anybody about it, but just see if maybe hearing them talk about dysfunctions and cures might at some point cross section with the things going on in my life and find healing. And after a couple of years, you'd be like, I just don't know if this hospital thing's working. <laughs> but what if you, if you go to the doctor, right? You go to the doctor. And I'm not saying that Josh or I are the doctor. The great physician is Jesus. We want to get connected to Jesus, right? But imagine if, I mean, if you go to the doctor, you go and you say, I've got this problem. Let's talk, doc, okay? This is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. And if this keeps happening, life is not going to work very well. <clears throat> and he goes, okay, cool. Here's what this is, and here's what this is. We're going to have to do this to get rid of this. Here's the cure. Here's what we're going to do. This is where we're going. That conversation leads to wholeness. What if we begin saying as a community, I'm going to begin talking to God about that which is broken in my life, and I'm going to begin talking to my family and my friends in a deep level about what's really going on. Because if I will bring things out, this is what God's promising. If we bring things out into the light of Jesus, into the love of God, he has the power to cleanse us and heal us from every past sin, present and future, and to put us on a highway to wholeness. And I think our world that is living in the same dysfunction we are all trying to figure out is looking for a community of people that when they say, hey, uh, can we just talk? That they go, yeah, we can. Now, I'm good at reading the Bible and talking to you from a stage where we can't really have a conversation. It's called public speaking. I struggle when it's a real conversation with a real person because if it gets into something that's awkward, I'll be like, pause, and then I'll run out the room. Uh, so it's not that bad, but it almost is. So, but my wife, my wife, Julie, is really, really good at having these kind of difficult conversations. And so I said, babe, listen, I got to talk about this this week. I got some Bible stuff I can teach, but will you come help co-teach with me and say all the stuff that I'm too chicken to say? And she said she would. So I'm going to pray for us, and then my wife's going to join me. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this time we have together. Thanks for your truth. Thank you that, um, that you do want to talk with us. And that when we bring things out into the light, into your love, you do have the power to heal and to bring us into a place of wholeness. I pray that this week would just be a great jumpstart for us as families and as a community to move in that direction. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Julie Earlywine. Woo! All right. So, Julie, I'm going to give him a little more Bible, and then you hit him with some practical. Awesome. Here's the good news is that Jesus does actually want to talk with us. Like, God is so real. He wants to meet you most fully where you really are, and he wants to actually communicate with you every day in everyday types of ways. If you've been at a discipleship huddle here at Mercy Road, you know that's a lot of what we try to figure out and teach each other and learn is how to hear the voice of God guiding and directing us. I love this passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus says this. It says, Jesus resumed talking to people, but now tenderly. And here's, here's him, him describing the kind of connection he has with his father. The father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm keeping it. But I'm not. Listen to this. I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Jesus wants to talk to you. And he's asking the question, can we just talk? And within our lives, God desires that we are creating a culture of conversation, a culture of conversation. When God gave the, 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 the Israelites the commands and the decrees in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, 
He ends this passage of scripture and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about them. Jesus wants to talk to us and he wants us to create a very conversational culture where we can talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and he's there with us. Now, past generations weren't real good at talking about feelings, about being open about things. Maybe you're not. If you grew up in a home where you knew that you had the grandpa that did the thing or the uncle or the aunt or whatever it is and the generational things of dysfunctions that are happening that might be finding their way into your family, but the answer is, can't we just talk about that? And within your family, the answer is like, no, we don't. We're not going to talk about that. You might be allowing generational dysfunctional sin to be present in your life. And the opportunity that Jesus has is, no, we don't have to let that continue. What we can do is we can bring that into the light and the love of Jesus, and you can actually begin to stop those generational sins and find healing and wholeness. Julie, you grew up in a home where you guys were good about talking about the tough stuff. And what did that do as far as a culture for you to grow up in, of answering this question within your family of origin that, yeah, we, we can just talk? I texted my mom and was like, uh, Darren asked me to share about the things we did good as a family, but it's probably going to mean I'm going to have to talk about some of the bad stuff you guys did. And she was like, please don't be too hard on us, <laughs> her little sweet self. But, you know, it, it's one of those interesting things. Like when I look back, I am the firstborn, you know, I'm pretty type A, and I put a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect, to do it all right, to be the perfect Christian, to be the perfect student. And all of those things were just somewhat, somewhat expected of me in my home, but they were also personal things that I placed on me now that I have perspective, now that I'm older and I can look back on myself and see that. But one of the things I'm super thankful for is I grew up in a home where my parents weren't perfect, and I knew that. I knew that they had had struggles. Um, my mom was divorced when I was two and a half, and my biological father was not a part of my life, and my dad raised me. My, he's my dad. And... Um, the home that I was raised in, we talked openly about what happened to my mom and why my dad was choosing to be my dad and not, even though bloodline was not there, he was choosing to be my dad. I remember a very specific moment. He sat down, I mean, I was little. He sat down beside me on the front steps of the house we lived in at the time and he said to me, I want you to call me dad if you're comfortable with that because I will always love you like you're mine. And that's a really tough thing in the 80s for a guy to say to a little girl. And at that, what a gift, what a gift that he had the strength to be open with the fact that our family was broken, but he was doing the best he could to make it whole. And he had a lot of struggles throughout his life. He became a Christian actually after he met my mom. And uh, my dad had DUIs. He had a little stint with some drugs every once in a while. And he, uh, as a matter of fact, our pastor growing up, they used to joke because my dad loved the Lord so much once he found him. But the pastor growing up used to call my dad a lounge lizard. And he was like this, you know, I mean, when he met my mom, he didn't even have a license because he had a DUI. And, um, and it's just funny. We talked openly about his struggles and we talked openly about the pain my mom went through, but my mom had really never faced any struggles up to that point. And I think that that openness that my parents provided about themselves, the authenticity of the fact that they weren't perfect, that even though I was striving so hard to be perfect, it gave me a very safe space 
to realize that it's okay to not be perfect. I was okay with that because I was raising a family that loved the Lord, but they had messed up. And I think as we've walked into our parenting, we have tried to continually think about that and think it's okay if our boys know that we are not perfect. And But the only way they're going to know that is if we talk about it. My family was very faithful to talk about those things, and so that's something that's become immensely important and sort of a natural part of my DNA, just to talk about the good stuff, but to also talk a whole lot about the bad stuff. Yeah, and I think... First service, I said I was going to I was going to start spilling the beans on my parents, but I realized I didn't talk to them about getting permission to do that. Uh, cliche. Uh, so, but <laughs> yes, cliche. <laughs> my parents weren't perfect. They were first the first uh, generation Christians in our in our in our family, and we've talked about a, a lot of the things that that they have gone through, and we now talk about that with our boys. And you might go, well, why are you sharing all of your parents? dirty laundry with your kids like don't you want your kids to feel like their grandparents are like their heroes and like they're perfect no no we don't we 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 want our boys to know that their grandparents are forgiven you see i think most of the time we won't talk about that which still humiliates us but i do think we'll mostly we will talk about things that humble us. And I think the big difference there is things that we have not brought to the light and the love of Jesus to experience his forgiveness and wholeness, they are still things that are back in the darkness and in the past that if we let them out, we're afraid we'll be humiliated by them. But when we've allowed them to come into the light of Jesus and found healing and redemption for them, they can be things that may humble us, but they're things that give glory to what God can do with the brokenness in our lives. So I want to encourage you to take a look at that. Begin to ask God, God, help me to experience the light, the love, and the forgiveness of, of, of who you are and what you can bring so our family can begin to talk about some of these things. If we had time, I'd love to get into some of the Old Testament stuff I dug into this week of this, the dysfunction of generational stuff in the Old Testament. Like some of the big dudes, like I did a big study this week on, on, on Jacob and Joseph and I honestly got super depressed by the end of it because I was like, these guys are a freaking mess. I mean, <laughs> like I wondered the sermon was going to be about like how Jacob wrestled with the angel and he talked to God and it was okay and God was great and he was great. And then I kept turning the pages and reading more of the story and it's terrible. It's like he has this moment with God and then Jacob, uh, Jacob goes right back to deceiving his brother. He doesn't follow where God wants him to go and then his daughter gets sexually molested. It's it's terrible. Then they kill a whole village of people. I'm mean, like, I'm reading. I'm like, what is happening in the Old Testament, right? But then God comes back again to Jacob, and he, he, he talks to him again. And he reminds him of what's true about him. He reminds him of his forgiveness and what his plan is for his life. And, and then things do start to trend a little better until his sons sell his youngest son into slavery. And his, so Old Testament, crazy R-rated. Uh, the consistency, though, is God continuing to step into our story and say, hey, can't, can't we just talk? Because we need to find healing and redemption. Then it goes to our families, okay? And, and we jump into this. There's, can't we just talk? How do you answer this with your, your, your oikos or your, your immediate family and your friends? Let's jump into what the Word of God says about this, right? Once again, God is asking us to create a conversational culture in our oikos, 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 where we find out how to talk about difficult stuff. Here it goes. If a fellow believer hurts you, go to other people and tell them how you've been hurt. Passively, aggressively tweet or post about what real friendship is. Search for memes that would really knock them down and talk about how bad they are without using their names, but just keep posting and retweeting other things about how you have been hurt by that person without ever telling them that. Then get together with other Christians and explain through a prayer request how said person has hurt you. Find other people that have possibly been hurt by them the same way and get an alliance together to see if you can vote them off the island of Christendom. Wait a second. That is not what Jesus says. I am sorry. I was reading that from the chapter of what we actually do in our dysfunctional friend cultures today. Can't we just talk real quick about what Jesus says? He says this. If a fellow believer hurts you, go tell him or her. Go to them. Work it out between the two of you. Can't you just talk? Because if they listen to you, you've made a friend. If they won't listen, try it again. Take two, one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If, it's still, if they still won't listen, tell the church, which doesn't mean you get up here and be like, let me tell you what Josh did to me, okay? I'm telling the whole church. That's not what it means, okay? It's just a, a bigger community to bring more people in. If they still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. The greatest testimony of our connection to God is the way we connect with each other. And life is hard. So how do we answer this question? Can't we just talk? Once again, I brought Julian, save the day. Because here's how I usually do it. Feelings are hurt, probably should go to that person, let them know that my feelings are hurt, talk it out. Here's what I do, avoid them at all costs. <laughs> Not healthy, okay? I want Julie to talk about how she's done this within her friend groups and how it's developed healthy, deeper relationships. And then we're also going to talk about how we do this, try to create this culture within our parenting with our sons. I'm a big country music fan. Um, actually, on Friday, Luke Bryan will be here. And I'm going to give a shout out quote to him from one of his songs that says, um, I believe we got to forgive and make amends because um, nobody gets a second chance to make new old friends. And the truth of the matter is, is you don't. You know, I have friends in my life. I have one of my couple of friends that have been in my life my entire life. And um, if, has everything always been roses and perfect and easy? No, but you talk about it and you're open because you can't make a new old friend. And that's a, something we try to set an example for with our boys because when things are hurtful and painful for me, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm super, I'm an Enneagram six, so I am extremely loyal. And so once you have me in, you sort of are stuck with me forever. So I'm going to actually kind of fight for you. So sometimes my confrontation is not even out of frustration or anger. My confrontation is because I love you so much that I'll do whatever it takes for us with the Lord's help to fix it. If it feels icky or wrong or messed up. Um, but I'm super thankful for that characteristic because there have been things that have happened where I have been hurt or I have hurt someone and we've walked in a journey together to work through it. And those relationships, those friendships, 
I don't have to make new old friends. I can't get those because I still have my old friends because even when life's not easy and it's messy, when you fight for that and you allow God to just really motivate you to make a healthy culture, it's just such a gift. It's one of the greatest gifts he's given us is the relationships that we have with people, with our family, with our friends. And so sometimes the toughest conversations that we have to have actually are the things that give us the greatest gifts. And so it doesn't always feel comfortable to do it, but it's definitely been a thing in my life that I have found that just going to someone and saying, why did you do this? Or what could I have done differently to make you not feel this way? To learn back and forth from someone what they need and openly ask them, even when it feels super awkward, it has created such deep relationships in my life with people. And yes, as the word said, there have been times when I have had gone by myself, it's not worked, and then have taken people with me as a witness. And some, you know, it is, the word of God is true, because that truth to pr proved to be a healing and solidifying factor in those relationships. And that's something, too, that we've also, we've, a lot of those struggles interpersonally, I have allowed my boys to watch me walk through. And that sounds kind of weird. I'm a girl, and so sometimes I think girl dramas are a little way different than boy dramas. But they have watched me be hurt by people and still love them and fight for them. And I'm beginning to see that in their culture of when someone says something about them and they hear about it, their natural instinct is to say, you know, I'm going to go ask them why they did that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, praise the Lord, because you're, they're not going to have to make a new old friend because they're going to keep having the same friends. Because that tough question will make that other person realize they care enough about them. Um, and I see that in my boys' friendships and them trying to do that, to make those stronger, especially in our older, our oldest son, because he's right at that relationship age with others where it's really starting to get real. You know, when it comes to our boys, I, um, I tend by nature to have the tougher conversations with them than Darren, which seems weird because I'm the mom and he's the dad. So you would think that the weird, uncomfortable, awkward questions that dad would ask them, but a lot of times it's I would ask them. And I think it's because I want my boys to see my weaknesses and my inability to understand things, but I also want them to know I'm there. No matter what it is, no matter what they struggle with, no matter what goes wrong, like I am a safe place. And the world out there is not very safe for them. And so I want them to know that no matter what they're going through, this is an open door policy around here, an open policy around here where you can talk to us and you can feel safe. And if you come to us with a struggle, there is no punishment. There is no judgment. There is just love here. And we're starting to see the beginnings of that in our relationship with our boys as they become teenagers and the safeness that I'm hoping and I think that they feel from that. Our good friends, the Mattingleys, literally one of the families that we look up to, Darren and I, they have two boys. They're both grown adults. They're both successful, and they love the Lord, their children do. And they told me two things. They would always lay in bed at night and talk to their boys in the dark, and they would talk to them when they were driving in the car, and they didn't have to look you in the eyes. And I have had opportunity after opportunity where I've had one of my kids say, Mom, will you lay with me? And it's in those moments I learn about where they are. And I tell them my struggles, too. If they ask me how I've messed up or if I've ever done this, and I have, my answer is yes. I will never pretend to be something to them that I am not or that I wasn't because I want them to see the redemptive power that Christ has had in my life. In friendships, in struggles, in failures, I want them to see. So we have a lot of dark 
nighttime driving conversations in my garage. Sometimes, actually, we'll pull in, and our, my, sometimes my oldest son, he won't get out, and then all of a sudden, he'll start talking, and I'll be like, this is this awesome opportunity where he's going to talk to me, and I love it, so I'm going to keep the car as dark, and then about 30 minutes later, you see Darren open the door and look out at us like, what's wrong? And it's in those moments of making myself available and allowing myself um, the space and him the space to say whatever he needs to say, and also to know that it's, it is safe. What you say here stays here. It doesn't go anywhere else. And um, I think creating that culture of safety for your kids, that they can really feel like they trust you and that they can know you're not perfect, has been one of the greatest blessings for us within our home to allow conversation to be a part of our culture. And I think a part of that, what changed for, for us personally in our relationship with Jesus is I grew up thinking that God's main role in my life was the punisher. That when I would confess wrong to God, that I got to get there, I had to apologize for my sin, ask for forgiveness, and then get out of his presence as quickly as possible so I didn't become a pillar of salt, right? Like, that's what I thought. <clears throat> and as I began to, to know the heart of my father to realize he, he, he didn't even, like, he doesn't even demand an apology, right? Like, and he's not mad at me in my brokenness. There may be sorrow for what I'm doing and a desire to say, okay, why don't we talk about and get curious about why are you choosing things that are outside of what I've chosen for you? And as I began to see that God was in inviting me into a grace-filled conversational relationship, my relationship with my heavenly father changed. And we've tried to do that with our boys to say, listen, where our main role in your life at this point we're not your punishers. We are your conversational consultants for life. So you can come to us and realize, now, if you tell us you're doing something that's illegal, whatever, yeah, will, we have, yeah, will we have to discuss <laughs> consequences that make sense for that? Yeah, like, we'll, we'll talk about it. But we're here to allow you to grow up into a place where we're the safest place for you to talk so that things can come into the light they can come into Christ's love and our love, and we can move together on a highway to wholeness. Not easy, but I think it's what God wants for each one of our families.